I hope this tea doesn't have expired milk in it. <laughs> oh, you'll know in a few hours. <laughs> okay, this is regular tea. This is fine tea. Right, that's great. Hello and welcome to Hidden Among Us. Hello, welcome to Hi. episode 8. Yes, finally. Okay, I don't know if you guys can see this, but... Okay, <laughs> listeners can't see this, but I'm showing this to Shannon Honda, but... Did Leo um, did it? Oh my god. Okay, so, like, Leo chewed on my um cable. I mean, on my, 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 my... What's this oh, thing shit. called? Laptop charger, and it's, like, sparking. Can you see it? Hold on, hold on. Cable? Oh. It's, like, sparking. Oh, shit. I'm scared, what do I do? I think you should get a new one. Can you please be careful? But this is brand new, you know? I think you're supposed to have that specific tape for that. There's a specific tape for this? You should ask your brother for black Yeah, tape. like, so if I'm not wrong, it. there's a specific tape for, like, cable. Can oh, you God, unplug it's, it? It's sparking. Then what am I going to charge my laptop with? I feel like you have to Google. I think there's a specific tape to, for that. Oh, my God. You might need to get a new one. Because it's dangerous. Dude, this, this charger is, like, two months old. No, it's a month old. <coughs> I'm gonna get tape. <laughs> yeah, you should get tape. Yeah, I think there's a tape for safety. I'm not gonna buy a new one. This is like new. Yeah, actually, it's quite expensive to get a laptop like charger. Yeah. Oh my, Leonidas. Oh my god. I literally turned away for like a few seconds, and I didn't realize that my cable had like slung onto the floor, and like when I turned around, I saw him chewing on it, and so I quickly like pushed him away. Oh my gosh. Okay, I just plugged it in and it's telling me that it's using too much power. Using too much power? Uh-huh. Yeah, you have to get tape that's meant for ins- like to insulate electric wires. Okay, I'm going to place an order on it. Called electrical tape. Oh my god, it's still sparking. This bad, right? It's a fire hazard. Yeah. And it might, I don't know, like zap you a bit. Uh-huh. Just off it, Chris. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, I'm just segue like into like heavy topics. <laughs> yeah, because I need to rant. Alright, so this week in Singapore, there's been quite a few interesting things that has happened. Mm-hmm. Oh god, I think I think the first one that comes off the top of my mind is SG Goals. Mm. Okay, yeah. This isn't the first time. The other time was, was it two years ago? Last year? No, it was less than... Okay, it was last, last year, year, last year. It was last year, right? Eshi Nasilama. The Eshi Nasilama. And I remember before that, um, I remember there's this, is she an influencer? Her name is Word Weed. And like a few years ago, she exposed yes. that on Tumblr, there was like this pedophilic yes. ring of like um, Singaporean accounts posting underage girls and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yes. And that was before Tumblr put in the restrictions on, like, pornographic materials and stuff like that. So it was just, like, really, like, horrendous images of underage girls being, like, spread around on Tumblr. Then last year was Eji Nasilamak, where it was just a bunch of unsolicited pictures of girls being shared in a group of, like, I think more than 10,000 <laughs> people, was it? Mm. It was a huge mm-hmm. group. I think so. I think close to 20,000. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think so. I think it was around those, around that number. And then, this year, it's SG Girls. Uh, they just never fail to disappoint, don't they? I mean, I'm not even shocked anymore. 
Like, yeah, but like, actually, Nasi Lemak got taken down. And I think there were a bunch of people that were prosecuted, right? And like, it just doesn't deter anyone. I wonder if SG Girls is still up. I'm curious. I'm gonna... Yeah, I think it still is. I'm gonna make a quick check. Because a lot of people have I mean, SG I don't Girls. think it'll ever stop, honestly. Encrypted. Mm. Oh no, it's still up. SG Girls is still, it's still up. It's still up. I, I was checking... One is the group chat where there's like about four to five thousand members and they, like I went to scroll and read the chat and like they basically like just men like they post pictures of girls and like they just start a conversation about these girls in a group chat and like girls will be like, Oh, so hot, like what's her IG? Stuff like that. Ew. Yeah, and then there's another one that's a subscriber based one. I think that one had like over ten thousand people subscribed to it. And like the um they send the the administrator sends pictures of like girls, like Instagram pictures every day. So it's like not even like nudes, it's like um it's it's like pictures of girls in like um bikinis, like at the beach that they post on their Instagram main profile. And a lot of them are workout wear as well. Yes, yes. And like one of my mm. friends was actually one of it's like the latest photo that they posted. So like anyone who actually goes into the account right now can actually see her photo, which is so disturbing to me. Cause I actually you know, it's not nice. Yeah, and first of all, these are unsolicited pictures. Like the the girls in these pictures did not give permission to have them spread around, right? Exactly, yes. And, and there's it, even one like telegram bot like someone actually bothered to create a freaking bot and i sent it to you guys and this guy basically created a bot where when you click like on a certain function you they send you a nude of a girl and like i read somewhere on twitter that like these nudes are like from ex-girlfriends like um like got some guys ex-girlfriends like nudes and they're like just leaking and it's not like one girl it's like many different girls what the heck it's freaking disgusting and like obviously because i wanted to see if like like, because it's all over Twitter. So, I wanted to see, like, if it was true. So, I, subs- I I went in, I subscribed. And they really, like, when I clicked on it, it's really, like, some random girl's nude. So, I just reported the channel right away. Like, yeah. And I'm sure I'm not the only person who has reported. So, I'm mm. just wondering, what's taking it so long for Telegram to kind of review this? Like, I think it's because Telegram prides itself in being this, like, encrypted place where you can, like, send all these things. So it might take a longer time because there are other channels also sending all these things. So, I mean, it's not an excuse as to why it's taking so long. But I think it will take some time. And in fact, for the SG Girls group, I remember when I first saw it, when you first sent it, um, there was about 3,000 plus people. Now there's like 4,000 members. Mm. And I don't know how many of it is people who got curious and decided to subscribe. And the thing is, also to anyone listening out there, I know it's exciting and like you want to see what it's all about, but just a reminder that these pictures are of women, of people who did not grant permission to have their pictures shared. So I know it's like curious, you want to see what's in there, you want to see what the pictures are like, but just report the group. And urge your friends to report it as well. Yeah, because it's it's mm-hmm. really very mm-hmm. unjust what is happening to these girls. And like, it's very clear that these images are taken off their social media. And it's like, you 
as a girl in this day and age, you can't even post pictures on your social media without being afraid of some weirdo taking them and like sharing them on a group like this. Mm-hmm. It's just mind boggles me and I remember like a few years ago there was this random Instagram account created for like SG Indian girls yes I remember this I remember that like somebody used one of my photos they they took one of my photos and they posted it there and I was like Mm. do I know you can you not do this and it was mm. just, it's just really creepy. Um, so just people out there, don't do this. Don't create another group like this. Um, if I'm not wrong, there's like this Twitter thread of this person who like compiled various groups like SG Girls and SG Nasilamak. And you can like look at it and just just report all these groups. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's just that PSA. And like, I think an important thing is like, just because they like upload photos of themselves in like bikinis or like fitness where it doesn't mean it's fair game to like sexualize them you know exactly you couldn't have I feel like people would use though. that as an excuse yeah and th- that's the thing that peeves me so much is like all these pictures were taken because like the the person in the picture was clearly having a good time these pictures were taken to show that they were like enjoying a particular moment and they just so happened to be in like swimwear and as for like the workout pictures, mm-hmm. it's just it they are in workout gear because they were working out. Or they want to show mm-hmm. show off that look at my progress after like doing all this fitness stuff. Mm-hmm. And like you take these pictures and you spread it around on a telegram group with over like four thousand people because what, you're horny and you just wanna mm-hmm. look at pretty girls. Like, are you mm-hmm. kidding me? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean it also made me think about like, you know, because like um, other than just the online platforms, what about in real life? Because like, I'm just imagining like if I went to the gym or like if I went to like work out or to the beach, do men like sexualize me like just by seeing me? Like we, I'm not even taking a picture but like just me being in the moment. Are they really sexualizing me? Like, right, like your very existence is just sexualized. Yeah, and the fact that, the, the thing that scares me is actually the fact that I feel like you 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 know that men that glance they give you. Oh yeah, I know. Yeah, it's oh like oh my god, don't even. I hate it so much. It's like I want to say that um I have never <sighs> been sexualized my entire life, Dang. but that glance is stuck in my head. Like you know, it's like even down to the smallest things. Like you know when you go to MRT and those like NS boys patrolling like the MRT, mm-hmm. and they come in a herd. Oh my god, a wolf gang pack. Okay, <laughs> it's like pack. it's like. Those eyes, okay. wow! I just I hate it, especially you know when they look at you like oh my god, toe. It's like it's like did your mama not teach you? Like seriously, <laughs> did your mama not teach you? No, at first when I received those glances, I used to be like really shy, and then I look away. Mm. But I learned that to stop this boy from looking at you in that sexualizing manner, just look them back the same way they look at you. So when they look at me, top top. Like, from top to bottom, I look at them the same way and then they will, like, move away. Like, their eyes will change direction. No, just just so stare at their crotch and then maybe squint a little. <laughs> or, or, like, just grin, like... <laughs> okay, we're not advocating to, like, sexually harass somebody back. Like, please don't do that. This is just, like, joke for the fun of jokes. But in general, our message is, like, 
don't spread around unsolicited pictures of girls and weird staring can be taken as, you know, harassment. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And like, learn to be aware of your gaze. Like, I was talking to like a few of my guy friends before this or so, and they were never aware of their gaze and yep. how they look at women and how it could make a woman possibly feel. So even if you want to appreciate a woman's beauty, do it respectfully. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That's the thing. Um, I remember seeing this discussion online about like um, a bunch of men saying like, oh, you know, we can't even look at girls now because they think that we are some sort of like predator. From when? <laughs> but you need to understand the, the history behind that is because women have been like succumb to this for for so many years it's become like a like a generalized like even like a gendered sort of trauma for us so it's like even if you're trying to be harmless you need to be aware that sometimes it can just make a woman feel unsafe and we're also not saying that all women feel this way and all men are terrible but Mm. i think it's just important to be aware of like these particular traumas that women but really men just please your grown men learn to respect the people around you Mm -hmm. your mom your sister your friends the people around you learn Mm. to respect people around you to gain respect for yourself yeah so important and the same goes towards women as well there's this culture these days where um, a lot of women think that because men harass women so much that it's all right for them to harass men um it's counterintuitive. Don't do that either. I know, like, harassment of men is, like, a very small number because a lot of it goes unreported. But moral story, just don't harass anyone. Don't send unsolicited pictures of anyone to anyone else. Mm-hmm. Anyway, on the topic of <laughs> women and some form of like sexual assault my crime story does revolve a little bit around this kind of feel with a little twist of black magic because i always love myself some black magic (laughs) of course so of course even though it's a crime story it's also revolved around black magic i don't know i just always chance upon stories like this and i'm just like oh my god oh my god all right i'm excited yeah i love this kind of cases and i really really enjoyed reading this one and when I read it I was just like this is made for me so so this is the story <laughs> not, I'm gonna tell you guys today not that we're glamorizing crime yes yes <laughs> not but, to say that it like gets our blood pumping and like makes us get through our day but it's like crime and paranormal is our general interest so <laughs> yeah and when I came across the story I was just like whoa like Whoa, interesting. <laughs> yeah, and it's always just, it's, it's not even like, it's not even my turn to do like a ghost story this week. But like, when I came across it, I was just like, whoa, <laughs> yes, this is for me. Oh my god, you're so high. I think your coffee's. Shit, shit is so. <laughs> yeah, her coffee's like entered her bloodstream at this point. Yeah, because you know, I normally sleep at 9 or 10. Like yesterday, I slept at 9 30. And then today, I'm awake, and we're How? doing like. We're doing recording today at like 11. So it's like way past my bedtime. <laughs> I know, okay, listeners, I do sleep very, very early. <laughs> you're the perfect student. Yeah, you're the perfect student. Well, I expect this body clock to be screwed up in about three to four weeks' time. So, 
And that's when school starts so well. I'm gonna... My story actually is located in Indonesia. <gasps> oh my gosh. Yeah. Okay, I'm excited. We haven't had an Indonesian story. Yeah, I, I realized yeah. that too. Okay, so... The main... The crime perpetrator in this story, his name is Ahmad Suradish. Listeners, I might be butchering this name, but how I'm reading it is Suradji. So it's S-U... R-A-D-J-I and his real name is actually Nasib Kalawangte um, and he was a serial killer shaman. <gasps> oh, yeah, serial was. killer shaman? Yeah. Okay, that is a very interesting combination. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah right? So, um, he was hailed from a small Indonesian village ironically named Amandamai also translating English to peace and tranquility. Oh, well, there's nothing <laughs> peace nor tranquil about this story, I reckon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, a little background about him. So, he had three wives. Oh. Not very important detail, but he had three <laughs> wives. Um, and all of them were sisters. So, he married three sisters. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Maybe he has a type. <laughs> yeah, so... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> So, he was revered by his community to be a very powerful shaman. Um, but yet, he took the lives of 42 young women in his quest for greatness. What kind of greatness? Well, okay, this where we dive in. So, <laughs> Oh my god, yes. no, you did that. What's the thing? The woe? Oh, disgusting. Yeah. I'm banishing so, it from my brain right now. So the story, even though it's like super bizarre and like super crazy to think about, um, it is actually super simple. So Surat G was actually born to a self-proclaimed sorcerer in Indonesia. So, I mean, as a young boy, he grew up in an environment that was filled with like a lot of black magic since like his father was, you know... A sorcerer. Uh, <laughs> correct. So... So he grew up in an environment filled with black magic, which obviously would have sparked his interest in black magic, right? Because, you know, you witness your your father kind of like doing it and you will also, you know, be interested. Mm. So he basically grew up watching his father get admired by the community around him, um, getting a lot of praise and respect, you know, because his father was actually resolving like a lot of like issues um, using black magic. And this is dated in the 1980s. Mm-hmm. So it's like, mm. back then it's a very like kampong, very community kind of thing. So like obviously when someone is using black magic to like solve problems, he's highly respected lah. Like mm. you're, you're put to that like, that, that tier, you know, like he can solve problems and he's human. Mm. So obviously a lot of people respected uh. him. Yeah. But this also meant that um, Suraji was... Obviously, often neglected like by his parents, by his his, by his father. So I mean, his dad was probably very busy, you know. Yeah. Um, mm. and that so there are a lot of testimonies that actually said that Suraji was actually very different as a young boy and had trouble making friends. Which you know, I guess I could understand that element because that you know if I had a friend whose father was dabbling in black magic, you know, I would take, I would like be a bit cautious, like mm. to not like be friends with him or, you know, at some, even to some extent be scared. Okay, yeah, understandable. Mm-hmm. Okay. So yeah, so more often than not, he was alone. 
I mean, when we were young, who doesn't like to be alone, right? Because you like get that freedom away mm. from like your parents. But in his case, uh, that wasn't the best thing. <laughs> so being very lonely and neglected at a very young age, he didn't really do very well in school and obviously dabbled in crime. So he was only 17 when he first went to prison and he served about 10 years for petty crimes and public violence. Oof. Yeah. So, um, mm. barely two years after he was released, um, he was back again for behind bars for cattle theft. Like, the cow? Yeah, like for stealing cows. <laughs> uh. Back then, it was probably a pretty expensive good. So, I will add, imagine why he had to go back I, to prison. I mean, livestock is expensive because you have to raise them and breed them. Yeah. And whatever with them. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, so... Whatever with this. Anyway, after he served his sentence, um, according to this documentary by Crime Investigation Asia, um, his, testi- his testimony was that he felt that he needed to do something to shed his bad reputation. I mean, he did so many things and like, can you imagine like your dad is like revered after by the community and then he has a son that is so problematic? So he <laughs> wanted to kind of like... Um, to regain, like, to kind of redeem himself, like, redeem his, like, reputation. He basically and wanted of... people to forget that he stole cows. Yes, <laughs> he did. <laughs> yes. So, through that, he made a conscious decision to follow the footsteps of his father, which obviously is to become a shaman. Oh. So, um, he started to use, started to learn and use black magic to help the people of his community. And he was later then revered and regarded as Dato Mirangi. And locals believed mm. that he could move clouds and heal the sick. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So, um, well, obviously, when you're that powerful, you have a secret, right? Mm. Um, well, his secret was that he was one of the most prolific and prolific serial killers of all time. Oh, gee. <laughs> well, okay. So in 1986, oh my god, we weren't even born yet. But in 1986, <laughs> um, Suraji had a dream, okay? He had a dream that, a dream of his father that became a nightmare for many women and their families. Oh my god. So he actually claimed that the ghost of his deceased father had actually told him that he needed to obtain the saliva of 70 dead young women in order to become invincible in the power of black magic. The saliva? The saliva, yeah. Uh, Okay, I feel like if this happened today, there'll be like women out there who are more than willing to give their saliva. Not to kink shame anyone. Well, well, well. to be fair, in his testimony, he did say that he was never ordered by his father to kill, but admitted that he had killed those women to achieve his target of sucking the saliva of 70 dead women sooner. It had to be oh, dead he women. Had to, he had to oh. suck it. Like, drink it lah. Yeah. <laughs> I can't even... Uh, it's so gross! But how? Okay, I'll tell you later on. Stop. Just hold Saliva on. Saliva is like Sit warm and like not exactly Moist. like <laughs> it's like thick-ish, but it's like warm. Okay, I don't even want to describe saliva. Alright. Well, he also in a separate confession said that, you know, mother of these women was an easy way to make money. Cause you know, if he robbed people, he could get shot or put in jail. Um oh. but in the method that he did it, um people would come to him. 
and he will take their money and then kill them. <laughs> yeah, which is the easier method. Okay, so um, so he victimized women who actually came to him who needed help with their love or marriage. And at times, he would even hire prostitutes and then murder them because he could not wait around for more women to come by. Because, you know, I mean, it's pretty smart because, like, these women would pay um, to go down to his house and then after that, he would kill them. But then when there are no clients at the downtime, then he would find mm. prostitutes. Mm. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So, well... Free money, um, free mothers, and one step closer to being invisible and getting away with it all. It, it sounded pretty good for Surajji until he came across 21-year-old Sri Kamala Dewi, the woman who was to be his final sacrifice, and Andreas, a rickshaw driver, um, whose story and memory actually saved other women um, from a horrifying end. Ooh. So... On 27 April 1997, we were all not born yet, but... So, a young farmer actually ventured to the sugarcane fields to feed his livestock and came across an unusual amount of dirt. So, obviously, he informed his village head, Sujito, of his discovery. He was also Surajji's neighbour. So, like, um, this farmer was Surajji's neighbour. Oh, okay. So, yeah, in an interview... Um, Sujito, which is the village head, he and a few other men actually went to inspect the mound and actually stuck a piece of wood into it um, only to, you know, be assaulted by the smell of decay. Oh. So it's like they poked mm. in that, that mound of dirt and then that smell came out. Obviously, they immediately alerted the military who was in return... Um, they, they actually started digging and they actually went to see what was beneath that mound of dirt. So, um... Was it, like, a large mound? No, I think it's just, like... Okay, I guess it's not a large mound, but noticeable enough that it's odd to be seen in a sugarcane field. Cause oh, like, okay, okay. Mm-hmm. So, they, they were actually... Because it's, like, village. So, like, I'm very sure crimes like this happen, like, all the time. So, they instructed how to take care of it, especially since Sujito is the village head. So, obviously, when he stuck the piece of wood in it and that smell actually, like, came out, he was worried and he alerted the military, who actually then told Sujito to actually start digging to see what was beneath the amount of dirt. Wait, so the military told Sujito to do it himself? Yeah. They, like, were, like, <laughs> they were like, oh, no, we're not going to call in anyone to investigate this. Why don't you go dig it yourself and find I out what it's it because, is? I think it's because it's, like, like village and then, like, the military is really, really far away. So it's like, so they actually instructed and told him to actually start to see what was beneath it. And they said that if they found a body, they should leave it and inform the military immediately. Wow, that's great. Yeah. It's <laughs> just great. So six men and two hours later, they actually discovered a body. So it was naked and bloated. Uh, and the oh, putrefied, no. yeah. So the police were called. Oh, okay, finally. Yeah. So she was vaguely <laughs> recognized as 21-year-old Dewi by On Lucas and her family was actually summoned to identify her. So Dewi's mm. mom, Asana, actually said that she could tell that it was her daughter just by looking at her legs. Oh, so no. no one actually knew what happened as they last saw Dewi three days previously when she stepped out of her home to run an errand. Oh no. Mm-hmm. So soon after the discovery of Dewi's body, a 15-year-old rickshaw driver actually stepped forward um, shedding light on the mystery behind Davy's death. So this this driver is actually Andreas. 
So, Andrea Sorito actually explained that on 24th April 1997, which was three days before the young farmer actually found her body, he actually explained that Dewey actually had asked him to take her to a destination without elaborating on the details, saying that she did not want to disclose her destination until they were halfway there. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I guess upon prompting her multiple times, then she said that she wanted to go to the Datuk's house which is the shaman. So, upon hearing this statement by Andreas, Sujito, the village head, was shocked and shared that Shuraji, which is the shaman, had actually asked about the commotion on 27 April and even told him not to fear if it was a ghost. Like, because oh. he's a shaman, right? Yeah. So, he actually... He, so, uh, Sujito, okay. I guess, was a bit suspicious and he shared that Shuraji was actually one of the six men that actually helped to dig up Dewey's body. Oh my god. Yeah. So, I guess he got a bit suspicious because like... He actually, hmm. the last person that would have seen Dewey based on the rickshaw driver's account would be the shaman, but he was acting as if he didn't know anything about it. Yeah. So I guess that, that is a bit um, suspicious. Because like, why, why was he acting this way when he already saw her and er, the last witness testimony was her going to his house? And this wasn't like, it's not like some CBD, you know. It's like... <laughs> The village. So, like, you go to such an ulu place with with kind of an objective. And, so like, the he, village hit. he never, like, came forward to say that, like, she saw him or anything, right? Exactly, yeah. So, I guess that's why the village hit was so suspicious and he told that important video to the police. Mm. And I guess that catched up. So, they actually interrogated him. And in his confession, he actually shared that Dewi had actually gone to him and she had a dispute with her fiancé and she wanted him back. Oh. Yeah, so she was seeking assistance from Suraji to ensure her fiancé did not leave her for another woman. Oh, oh so did she go, him, yeah. go to him for like a love spell? Yes, correct, yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. So, um, his method of killing is very, very interesting. So he would lure women into the forest or the field and then he would get them to bury themselves. So they bury themselves willingly, thinking that it's part of a spell. So they bury themselves more than halfway, leaving, I think, above their shoulders to be exposed. Mm -hmm. So they bury themselves, uh, they dig and they bury themselves. And then when they're in that state, he would strangle them. Mm -hmm. And then after that, suck or consume their saliva. Gross. I think the thing that really boggles my mind about this is the fact that they had to be dead in order for this to work. Yeah. He believed that it was like, for good luck, if all the bodies were facing, all the hits were facing him. Oh. Oh, God. Yeah. yeah. So, well, in Davy's case, um, based on his account, um, she was actually, you know, seeking assistance for, you know, her marriage. And then she were, he was walking her to the sugarcane plantation um, and they had to walk through a cemetery and she was scared and he had to constantly reassure her that everything was okay. Um, but she actually insisted that his wife accompany them for the ritual. Because, you know, it's a bit more assuring. Mm. Yeah. So, Davy was the one who asked for his wife, one of his wives, to Mini, to actually come along and that was how his wife got to know <laughs> about the murders. Yeah, so he also uh, said in his okay. testimony that he had to constantly reassure Dewi to calm her down while she was burying herself. And he was actually super proud in his testimony to claim that, you know, it only took 12 to 15 minutes to kill this woman. Yeah, and he was even smarter because um, he buried his victims without any clothing. 
so that their bodies would decompose faster. Mm. And remember, for Davy's case, um, Tumini came along. Mm-hmm. So in in the in that case, Tumini actually um helped him kind of remove the clothes of Dewi, rolled up her clothes and put them in a plastic bag and then headed home. So, he actually, like, this was the first time he actually brought his wife along and the first time, and the time where his wife realised that he was actually murdering other women. But yeah. like, the wife was like, she went along with it. <laughs> yeah, that's the yeah. thing, she went along with it. That was what I was... But I guess, like, back then... Like, it was a very strong, like, patriarchal society where you have to listen to your husband. Oh, yeah, maybe. Mm, that, that's what I felt. Like, killing someone is, like, a whole other issue. Yeah. Like, traditionally, you're not supposed to question your husband, you know what I mean? Correct, yeah. And maybe she also believed, believe, like, his powers or something. Mm. So, the forensic expert that actually worked on the case, and she said that there was a possibility of more than 42 bodies. Because he found 42, but definitely there were more because, you know, they really decomposed. Oh, yes, definitely. Yeah, and it was also very... It was impossible to tell if sexual assault actually happened at all. Because of how badly decomposed the bodies were. Was yeah. it? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And they could only, like, kind of gauge how many women he killed based on how many families came forth with, like, missing daughters. Or... Oh, no. <sighs> yeah. Correct. So, his wife, to me, was then tried as a, his accomplice and was sentenced to death. Um, but then it was then reduced to life imprisonment. But um, for himself, for Suratji, he was sentenced to death by firing squad and was executed on 10 July 2008. So it was about 12 years and 14 days ago. Oh, yeah. Another firing squad death. Mm, the correct. other one was the... But, she only, but the wife only helped in like one case, right? Yeah, correct. But she helped to roll. Because I guess you, when you really know and you didn't say anything about it. Yeah, but does that really warrant the death penalty? You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I think because there is no evidence that he could provide saying that this was the first time the wife was the accomplice. Mm. Okay, we also don't know mm. anything about like law, so... <laughs> mm-hmm, <laughs> Can't mm-hmm, really say. True. And we definitely don't know Indonesian and... Possibly Indonesian village laws. Yes. But yeah, when I read this story, I found it so interesting because it's really true. It's like these kind of jobs, like being a shaman, um, being a doctor, being a nurse, it's this kind of jobs where people come to you for help and you can very easily exploit. Yeah. And I mm-hmm. feel like being a shaman, and especially in a village setting, people aren't really going to question you yeah and he kind of wrote on that because like nobody ever says like oh i'm going to visit a shaman because like it's secretive you know you don't tell people and you're not supposed to tell people because you don't want those judgment like if you suddenly get rich then people will know oh it's because she went to the shaman yeah so Mm. it was very smart of him to exploit that loophole yes Mm -hmm. I, i hate that he exploited it but yeah, he. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, it is what it is. Mm. Interesting case. Yeah, if not for the rickshaw driver, I think he would have killed like his seventy, and then I would have liked to seen, I would have liked to know how he became the most invincible sorceress in the universe. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Okay. Is everyone ready <laughs> for a supernatural story today? Sure. Boys, girls, and mm. everyone in between, are you all ready? <laughs> the tea is getting right, not ready. Not at 12, but... <laughs> the tea is getting to me. Honestly, I feel like my horror stories aren't that scary. It's more of like, ooh, this cool thing happened. <laughs> Because <laughs> I, I don't want to scare myself, okay? But today's story is called The Watsika Wonder. Mm-hmm. Or Watseka. Can you spell it? Um, W-A-T-S-E-K-A Wonder. Uh-huh. Okay. <laughs> I still don't know what to say. <laughs> it's okay. Okay. So, The Wonder, a.k.a. One of the earliest documented possessions in American history. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. Just imagine air guitar sounds and or maybe horns or whatever. Okay, okay. <laughs> I'm feeling really high because like the sugar in this tea is like getting to my brain right now. Alright. So this story takes place in the quiet and rural town of Watsika, Illinois. So oh when you say Illinois, it reminds me of Parasite. Oh! <laughs> um, I don't want to do the thing. I don't embarrass myself on the podcast. <laughs> hey, aren't you the Korean expert? Shut up! Maybe I should try. Jessica, Wedongda, Illinois, Chicago. Oh my god. Yeah, I know the rest of the thing because it's too fast and I didn't bother to learn. Okay, I'm going to cut this out. It's too embarrassing. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> Okay, anyway, so Watsika is just this, like, little chill town where nothing happens and everyone knows everyone. That is until July 1877. Mm-hmm. 1877. <laughs> Shan was like, oh, you know, like, what, what year was it? 19... Yeah. 19-something-something. What's the year? Yours set in? 1987. Yeah, you're like, 1987, you're like, oh, before we were born. And I was like... <laughs> Wait till you get to my story. <laughs> Way before we were born. It's like 1877. Mm. Okay. So one day, Lurency, Lurency Venom, or Rancy as people called her, okay. um, she told the family that there were persons in my room last night and they called Rancy, Rancy. And I felt their breath on my face. Please applaud my narration skills. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Then the oh next. My God, it sounds so authentic. <laughs> Do I sound like somebody <laughs> from 1877 in Illinois? No. <laughs> then the next <sighs> night, um, Lorenzi couldn't sleep because every time she did, um, she said someone would come up to her and call out Rancy, Rancy, and. It only stopped when her mother went to sleep in the same room with her. Okay. And then on 11 July 1877, Lorenzi was sewing a part of a carpet when her mom basically told her to go and get supper ready. But then she got him, she told her mom, Ma, I feel bad. I feel so queer. And then suddenly she fell to the floor and started to convulse. Before going mm-hmm. unconscious for five hours. 
and she was described as lying apparently dead, every muscle becoming suddenly rigid. Oh, no. And when I read this, I could only think of, like, literally when a person dies, you know, the whole body, like, stiffens. Yeah, so that was what she uh-huh. was like. But she was only unconscious. Um, when Laurenti finally regained consciousness, um, she once again said that she felt very strange and queer. And then after that, she was just completely fine. For the rest of the night, she was fine. But the next day, she had another episode. So once again, she fell and she convulsed. And basically, she's described to ha- as having like um, fits. And mm-hmm. during this episode, it is described that her mind took cognizance of two states of being at the same time. Because what actually happened was, as she was lying unconscious, um, she actually could speak. And she would tell her family of people and spirits that she could see. And... She was so detailed, like, she could describe and call out to the spirits by name. Mm-hmm. And mm. among the spirits, okay, get this, among the spirits, right, she actually saw her deceased siblings. So Whoa. she said, oh, mother, can't you see little Laura and Bertie? They are so beautiful. And Bertie had passed away when Laurency was three years old. Wait, so... How was she... Oh, so she still recognised her sleep... Okay. Yeah. I think okay. she was 13. Mm. Okay, okay. I can't remember. Um. Yeah. Uh, and Laurency would continue to have these episodes and would even describe seeing heaven and spirits of the dead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Unfortunately, Laurency would continue to have these episodes where she'd have fits... Or she'd go into trances and even end up in like catatonic states for days at a time. And at this point, her family, who were like religious Orthodox Christians, were just Mm -hmm. like, hell no. (laughs) And brought her to see doctors to check her out. But the doctors all looked at her and they were like, yeah, she's physically fine. So they started to believe that there was... um, a mental issue with her instead. They even sent her to a mm. minister and like, the minister was like, I, and he wrote up a letter to an insane asylum to have her warded there. And literally, oh. everyone around Laurency, all her friends and family had finally come to the conclusion that it was best to have her admitted at this asylum. Mm-hmm. Okay. So this is where I'll introduce another major character in this story. His name is Mr. Asa B. Roth. Um, I don't know what the B stands for. So anyway, <laughs> please laugh. That was funny. <laughs> uh, Asa <laughs> <laughs> um, and his wife were spiritualists. So spiritualists are people who believe that um, the dead can communicate with the living. Okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. so he heard that Laurency was being sent to an asylum and he and his wife felt that this had to be stopped. Like, they had to stop um, Laurency's family from sending her there. So he basically goes down to her family and he's like, okay, please don't send her to the asylum. We don't know if it's a mental issue or if it's, like, something supernatural. Mm. Anyway, so Mr. Roth goes to... Uh, Laurency's dad and he's like persuading him not to send Laurency to the asylum. So finally, Laurency's dad is like, okay, fine. 
we won't send her there and he even allowed Roth to meet with her and what Mr. Roth did was he brought along this doctor called Dr. E.W. Stevens I don't know what E or W stands for but here's the thing okay (laughs) most of the story that I'm telling you is literally from E.W. Stevens' book Ah. I found it and did you read it? Yeah, I did. I read the thing. I read this book to bring you this story. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. Yeah, okay. Well, I didn't read it thoroughly. I skimmed through it-ish. It felt like a uni reading and I was like, I'm not mentally prepared for this. <laughs> soon, soon. Okay, so eventually, uh, Mr. Roth and Stevens, they go to Lorenzi's house and they meet her. And so in this house, it was just Roth Stevens and Lorenzi's family. Um, mm. So they go in there. Lorenzi was sitting near the stove, hands under her chin, feet curled up on the chair, and it is described that she was staring like an old hag. She sat in silence until Dr. Stevens moved his chair and she savagely warned him not to come nearer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um... Mm. Okay, the next part is quite funny. Like, I was kind of dying when I read it. <laughs> so, she seemed very sullen and she calls her father Old Black Dick and her mother Old Granny. Hmm. <laughs> why? <laughs> I know. It's like, what? <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> so, Lorenzi refused to be touched or shake hands, but for some reason, she responded freely with the doctor because apparently the doctor was a spiritual doctor and could understand her. So I'm going to read a conversation between the both of them, okay? So Stevens is like, what's your name? And Lorenzi hmm. goes, Katrina Hogan. Then Stevens is like, how old? And Lorenzi is like, 63 years. Then Stevens asks, where from? And Lorenzi is like, Germany. Stevens asks, how long ago? Lorenzi says, three days. Stevens asks, how did you come? Lorenzi says, through the air. Stevens asks, how long will you stay? And Lorenzi says, three weeks. And the both of them conversed like this. And all of a sudden, um, Lorenzi suddenly changed. She said, okay, I'm going to be honest now. And then she goes on to say that she wasn't a woman at all. And that her real name was Willie Canning. A young man who ran away from home, got into trouble, changed his name several times, and eventually passed away. And he was present there simply because he wanted to be. So it's really strange because it's it's Lorenzi's body, but mm-hmm. when she talks, the first one was a 63-year-old German lady, and the second one was some dude named Willie Canning. That's a bit weird. <laughs> it's, it's really weird. Okay, I'm telling you, this story is weird in and of itself. I was reading it and I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> so eventually around 5.30pm, everyone was like, okay, we're tired. It's time for us to go home. But Lorenzi suddenly arose, flung up her hands and fell upon the floor, straight, stiff and rigid. So the people went to hold uh-huh. a hand, which was like, they described to be like iron bars and magnetic and I think around this time, Dr. Stevens sort of, like, does a bit of hypnosis so that, like, she communicate with them. And Lorenzi starts 
telling mm-hmm. them that she regretted having evil controls around her. Then okay. she said, there are a great many spirits here who could be glad to come. Basically, she's saying that they're trying to possess her body. Mm. And she began to name and describe the spirits whoa, 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 of the dead. Wait, wait, wait. wait. Please don't scare me. Why? Do, do you hear that? No. My, my sister. I'm scared. This is a story about possession, dude. I'm terrified. Did she say, did she say her sis? <laughs> my sister kicked off the boom stuff. Okay. <laughs> Which scared me because like, I heard the chimes. You know, there's a horror movie that's like, has the same setting as this, if I'm not wrong. Is it called The Possession? No, no, no. Is it like the, 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 this kind of online thing? Oh, oh. Yeah, okay, No. I watched that movie. Please, please, no, 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 no. That one uses objects around you. So please, 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 please. Okay. Anyway, I'm freaked out because the stories of possession, and I really. Uh, I know. I had a heart attack, and we were saying, and then I heard the chime, and I was like, "But I'm not fucking sitting there." <gasps> no, I think that's the monster got kicked out. Is your chime that low? Okay, let's not delve yeah, into never mind. it. Let's, oh, not... let's, get, let's get back to it. Um, let's not think about where, it. Where was I? Uh... <laughs> okay, anyway, so... Dorothy basically said that there were many spirits <laughs> who be like glad to come and possess them and then began to name and describe them. <laughs> um, she began to name and describe all the spirits of people who she should have not known about because the older people in the room knew about them and she was way too young to know about them. And then Laurenti mm. goes to say that there is an angel that would like to come and that the angel was named, and get this, the angel was named Mary Roth. Mm-hmm. As in, Essa Roth. Because Essa Roth had a deceased daughter who died 12 years before. Okay. So... Esa's daughter is basically like trying to come through. So now I'm going to delve into a bit of uh. Mary Roth's story. So what happened was, Mary Roth actually experienced the same things Laurency did. So from the age of six months, Mary would suffer from a series of fits. And by the age of 15, they had become quite violent. And she appeared to be very melancholic, very depressed. Yeah, so... Her parents obviously sent her for treatments, but nothing really came of it. And she described as having a lump of pain in her head. And so, <laughs> I'm telling you, this is the kind of shit you you hear only from 1870, 1800s, from the 18 freaking hundreds. So, leeches were applied to her temples by physicians, and sometimes she would apply the leeches herself. Why? <laughs> I don't know. I would. Know. <laughs> I just. <laughs> She's so disturbed. <laughs> yeah, no, but like Mary used to do it herself. She used to take the the leeches and put it on her temples herself. Like I can't even. Oh. Don't want to delve there. Yeah. And then on July sixteenth, eighteen sixty four. Mary Roth secretly took a knife and cut her arm. So she bled out until she was unconscious. And um, while she was still unconscious, she was described to have become a raving maniac of the most violent kind. 
and remained like this for five days. So she was sort of catatonic, like sort of unconscious, but like also throwing fits-ish. Mm-hmm. And like it would take five fully grown men to hold her down because she was just mm-hmm. moving so much. And here's the thing, Damn. she was like about 100 pounds, so I think that was like 50 kilograms, and she nearly lost all her blood. So there's no way Mary could have had that much strength Mm-hmm. to push all these men off but somehow she was like overcome mm. with this like supernatural superhuman strength mm-hmm. when Mary finally had calmed down she couldn't recognize anyone around her so she couldn't recognize any of the physicians that were treating her that she should have recognized because they were treating her after all mm-hmm. and get this mm. she could read with a, with a blindfold on and do everything normally as if she could see but she had a blindfold on. But she could still see and do everything. So she could like pick pins off the floor. She could still wear her clothes. Ooh. And one day she took a doctor's encyclopedia. And like she went to the index page. And she was like tracing it with her finger. And she landed on the word blood. So um, Mary remained in this sort of clairvoyant state for three or four days. Before she finally came to. So she finally regained consciousness after three days. And was completely fine, except for the fits. Um, Unfortunately, she continued to self-harm, leading her parents to admit her into an asylum. Then on Mm -hmm. July 5th, while her parents went out of town, she had a good breakfast, went to bed, had a fit, and then unfortunately passed away. Okay. So now we circle back to the story of Florency. And... Things are going to get, like, really weird and wild. I was, re- I was reading this and I was like, uh, what? So, I'm scared. Knowing that Mary wanted to come back, um, Stevens and, like, Roth, they decided to use Lurency's body as a vessel to see what would happen if they just allowed Mary to come through and, like, sort of possess it. So, they were essentially going to use Lurency's body as an experiment. Mm-hmm. So, that's what they did. Mary took over Lorenzi's body. And the thing is, um, when she took over Lorenzi's body, right, she couldn't, Lorenzi, okay, Lorenzi, couldn't recognize any of her family members at all. But when she saw the Roths, she recognized them instantly. Mm. During this time, however, um, Mary Lorenzi, I'm just calling her Mary Lorenzi for now, was still living in like her own home. So basically Lorenzi's home and um Mary in Lorenzi's body felt very homesick because she was in this unfamiliar environment. She had no idea where she was. She didn't know any of the people. So they actually sent her to stay with the Roths. They asked her how long she was going to stay for and Mary... Like, they asked her how long she was going to stay in, like, Lorenzi's body. And Mary basically said that the angels said that she could stay until May. Okay, so keep May mm-hmm. in mind, okay? The oh, month of that... May. No, I don't want to keep May in mind. <laughs> <laughs> so the thing is, right, the Roths actually introduced her, like, Mary in Lorenzi's body to the Venoms. Which is really weird because it's like, you're introducing your daughter who's in the daughter of mm. the other family's body and you're introducing <sighs> that back to the, okay that's complicated but anyway um mary didn't uh-huh. recognize the venoms at all and 
the the crazy thing is like she warmed up to them the way you would with strangers so the Roths essentially like had to introduce her and she became friends with the Venoms but it's so crazy because the Venoms when they looked at her it is it was like their own daughter's body it's just that the person oh, yeah. in the body wasn't their daughter it was someone else yeah yeah Mary also recognized like articles of clothing and stuff she had when she'd been alive Things, once again, Laurency would have known nothing about. So this only further, like, went to prove that it wasn't Laurency in Laurency's body, but it was some, mm. it was Mary, like, something else. Mm. This went on mm. until May, until one day, Mary sat her mother down, so Mrs. Roth, and appeared really sad and said that she didn't know whether she was coming to stay or not and wanted to bid goodbye to everyone. And then okay. she closed the eyes and Laurency returned. So obviously Laurency was startled and frightened because she didn't recognize Mrs. Roth. She didn't recognize the room she was in. And mm. all of a sudden, like, Mary suddenly came back. Like, Mary reappeared in the body. And the creepy thing is, Mary went to say that she felt natural in Laurency's body as if she'd been born with it. Yeah. Okay, when the... When they were writing this, it didn't sound as sinister, but I definitely felt like a sinister vibe with it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. The fact that this spirit was getting a little too comfortable in this person's body. Yeah. So the thing was with Mary was um, she could actually leave Laurency's body and possess others. So for example, on April 21st, she possessed some dude named Dr. Steele who had come to visit the Roths. So, what she did was, she placed her head on his shoulder and then, whoop, went into him. Someone once asked her where Laurency was and Mary would either say, gone out somewhere or she is in heaven taking lessons and I am here taking lessons too. Mm. I don't know what that means, but that's creepy. That is creepy. Mm, Lessons. (laughs) Yeah. Remember how I said May? So, on the 21st of May... Mary no. finally bid goodbye. So she went to uh. say goodbye to her family, kissed them, cried, and she went to tell them to give all her pictures, marbles, cards, and like 25 cents that Mrs. Venom had given her to Laurency. So basically all that she had gave to Laurency. Then she told her father to tell Dr. Stevens. Tell him I'm going to leave and Renzi is coming home well. And then off Mary went. So Laurency eventually returned to her own body and she went home and she never experienced any like those episodes ever again. Mm-hmm. And then in true fashion of a good happy ending, Laurency went to marry a young man named George George Binning and moved out of town to live her life but mm-hmm. for the rest of her life she would actually go back to visit the Roths and hold seances with them and she would actually periodically allow Mary to visit through her so she would allow Mary to possess her body mm. yeah oh yes and um, once um, Mary took over Laurency's body during childbirth and it resulted in a painless delivery Mm-hmm. So Laurency didn't feel anything. Um, the Roth family would continue to believe in Mary's spirit, and 
Dr. Stevens went on to write about the story in the Religio-Philosophical Journal and the Watseka Wonder in 1887, which is the book I had to read in order to tell you all this story. It's 70 pages long and I was like, oh lord. Plus Whoa. it's in like 1887 sort of okay, language. True enough, true enough. <sighs> well, I'm used to it as a lit student, so... Well, it's Something fine. I could never be used to. Yeah. But the thing is with the story was um, a lot of people are sceptical. I mean, you can be sceptical of it, um, like possessions and stuff. Also because like, mm. I personally felt like this story was like tied up a little too neatly. Like mm-hmm. Mary finally mm-hmm. left and like Laurency could carry on with her life. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people are a bit sus about this story. Mm-hmm. But, you know, um, irregardless, it's a fascinating story. Like, possessions yep. are interesting. They are, but yeah. very scary. Yep. And um, that little sound effect thing that we had. Oh my god, no. Uh, yeah, some people believe that um, it could have been a case of, like, dissociative identity disorder. Okay. Because, you know, she... Oh my god, what oh. is that slamming sound? I am terrified. <laughs> it's not me. Oh my god, I want to know. Anyway... But I didn't hear it. Some people feel like it could be a case of dissociative identity disorder because, like, you know, she took... Like, there was the persona of the German lady. <clears throat> oh my voice. German lady, the young man, even Mary. But the thing that I feel is interesting is the fact that as Mary, for example... She couldn't even recognize her own family mm. and stuff. But at the same time, like, that is also something you can see in DID. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'm not mm-hmm. here to make that judgment or the judgment yeah. call. I just thought that this story was pretty interesting because, yeah, I I have seen possessions before yeah. and yes. they are pretty... Yeah, I've seen possessions, I've seen exorcisms as well and it's just... There's a lot of unknowns in the world, so... I wouldn't just write off this story just yet. Yeah. Anyway, so this is the bizarre story <laughs> of America's first documented possession. The Watsika Wonder. Shen did like a half dab and I kind of died on the inside. Alright guys, that's all the stories <laughs> we have for you today. If you enjoyed this episode and want to continue to support us, please rate us five stars on Apple Podcasts and follow us on Spotify. You can also listen to us on Google Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio and whatever podcast platform you listen to. And you can follow us on Instagram at KHAU Podcast. Shoot us a DM or send us stories if you like. You can also email us at hiddenamongus3 at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and see you guys next week. Bye. Bye. Hope- Bye. Hopefully you don't have any problems. <laughs> Remember oh to report SG girls and all the weird telegram groups. <laughs> yes. Yep. And we hope you have a safe and happy week. That's right. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Bye. Goodbye to me too. <laughs> Bye to all of us. Bye.